Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. We give him what we can because he's worthy of what we have. Because he's worthy of what we have. And we are blessed in doing that. I mean, it's scary, I know at times, talking about tithing and giving and all that good stuff. I mean, yeah, it's scary. There's been times in, in our marriage where no, like, we've, we've done horrible with tithing. Horror, so selfish, so completely selfish. And like, and really just distrusting in the Lord. And then we're getting better at that. We're growing at that. And then you get to these places where you're like, there's no more money. What should we do? Let's give more. Have you ever asked why so many religions exist? In the current climate of our world, why are people still looking for a higher power? In today's message, Pastor James explains that the one true God is making himself known to you, and he wants to be known by you. Humans will always be searching for something greater, and God is the only thing that can bring true purpose to your life. Don't follow the world into the trap of empty idols. Instead, allow God into your life and be fulfilled. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Leviticus, chapter 26, with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Are we missing out on some blessings because we are living in rebellion? I think so. I think so. Wisdom would say, hear him, obey him. Hear him and obey him. Hear him, obey him, and be blessed. Does that mean all my dreams are going to come true? Probably not. Is that you're going to get the big house? Probably not. The nice car? I don't know. Probably not. I think his, God's economy works different than ours. And I want his blessings more than material blessings. I like the stuff, but I don't need the stuff. I want what he wants for me. And I'm the biggest thing that gets in the way of that. There's no other hindrance in this world that gets in the way of that other than me. So I need to hear him. I need to obey him. And whatever he chooses to bless me with, I need to learn to appreciate that. And I know I need to take a course in contentment because I really struggle with that. I'm really good at, I've majored in complaining. I don't know if you guys know that. Like, I got my doctorate. What's the biggest one? Doctorate? Um, yeah. I got my doctorate in complaining. Um, I don't even know. I didn't know I signed up for that class, but I got that, right? Now, I want my doctorate in contentment. Contentment. Well, that contentment goes along with obedience. It's obedience. Are you content? Are you content with what he's doing in your life? Hear him, obey him, be blessed by him. But again, like I said, we, we need 14, 14 through 39 as a good reminder. I think a good encouragement for us too of like, yeah, but if you choose not to obey, there are consequences. There are consequences. But verse 40 is that shift. It's kind of that thing where I, I wrote in my Bible where, where hope still remains. Hope still remains. You read through those verses and you're like, this is bad. This is bad. No, but there's hope. There's still hope. And there will always be hope. As long as he is on the throne, and he always will be, there will always be hope. There will always be hope. 
And the first step into breaking some of these curses, and you know, there was a reference there towards like, uh, New Living Translation didn't really spell it out, but yours may have said something about these generational type curses. Well, there's hope for generational type curses. And the first step in breaking those curses is repentance. And you, you can't do anything about your parents before you. But you can repent. Be like, Lord, I'm going to repent on behalf of those who came before me. I don't want to repent for myself. I've had to learn to do that. Now, that doesn't absolve their sin or anything like that. Don't get, we're not going to get Catholic or anything on that or anything. But it's, it doesn't cover their sins. But it's, it's just us as owning it like, I know I have a family history. And I know things were passed down within my family, traits and, and different things like that that were harmful. So do I want to, am I just going to complain about that and do nothing and then let my kids carry those things on? Or do I say, no, it stops here? Lord, you know what? I apologize on behalf of my family for what we've done, the decisions we've made. I own that. And Lord, with me, that stops. It stops here. It stops here. That's kind of what, that, that's what's happening here within this, that last little portion. It says, at last, if my people will confess their sins and the sins of their ancestors, there you go, there's that reference, for betraying me and being hostile towards me, when I have turned their hostility back on them and brought them to the land of their enemies, then, their la- then at last their stubborn hearts will be humbled and they will pay for their sins. Praise Jesus that he paid for our sins. He paid for our sins. Then I will remember my covenant with Jacob, my covenant with Isaac, my covenant with Abraham, and I will remember the land. For the land must be abandoned to enjoy its years of Sabbath rest as it lies deserted. At last, the people will pay for their sins, for they have continually rejected my regulations and despised my decrees. They haven't even had a chance to start. They're not even in the land. They're at the base of Mount Sinai. But God's already letting them know, you will do this. You will do this to me. And after this certain amount of years, you will come back. You will come back. But despite all this, verse 44, I will not utterly reject or despise them while they are in exile in the land of their enemies. I will not cancel my covenant with them by wiping them out. For I am the Lord, their God. For their sakes... I will remember my ancient covenant with their ancestors whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of all the nations, that I might be their God. I am the Lord. These are the decrees, regulations, and instructions that the Lord gave through Moses on Mount Sinai as evidence of the relationship between him and the Israelites. He's like, you've walked into a relationship, and now here's how it works. And here's how it goes. I love that. You don't get to just walk into it like, okay, God, here's kind of what I was thinking. No. God's like, no. No, this is how it works. This is a relationship. I established that. We talk about this all throughout Leviticus. Well, I'm thinking worship needs to look like this. No. No. He, he defines worship. He defines covenant. He defines relationship. He defines what following him looks like. I don't know where we got it, where we get to like, in our feelings, we get to, you know, conjure up what this looks like. That's nonsense. That's not biblical. 
We go back to the word of God. What has he said? What has he said? Verse, or verse 1 in chapter 27, this is the last little bit here. This is where we're going we're gonna to be passing around the tithing buckets. Uh, I'm just kidding. This is about tithing and giving, so uh, hold on fast. Um, verse, 27, or verse 1 of chapter 27, the Lord said to Moses, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. If anyone makes a special vow to dedicate someone to the Lord by paying a val- the value for, of that person, here's the scale of values to be used. You're like, what? <laughs> like, I'm going to dedicate somebody to the Lord and... There's a whole pay scale thing kind of going on here. What I think of with this, this next portion of scripture is 1 Samuel chapter 1 with Hannah and Samuel. She dedicated Samuel to the Lord. Now, just so you know, based on this, Hannah could have gotten back Samuel if she paid money to the priest, but she never did that. She dedicated Samuel to the Lord, and she gave him over to the Lord. One of the most beautiful stories in all of the Old Testament, okay? So that's, that's what I want. I'm going to plant that seed in your brain as we go through this. It says, um, here's the scale for the values to be used. A man between the ages of 20 and 60 is valued at 50 shekels of silver, right? You're, if that's you, you're like, eh, that's not bad. That's the top of the scale, okay? Um, measured by the sanctuary shekel, a woman of that age is valued at 30 shekels of silver. You're like, that's half the value. Why is that's not fair? Look, I didn't write it. Um, this is just how the Lord, this is what the Lord stated it as, okay? Um, I'm, I'm really kind of glad this doesn't happen anymore. Um, number one, because you'd be devoting your bad kids to me and the church, I'm sure. Like, you have a bad day, you're like, we're devoting them to the Lord. I'm like, no, you're not. No, no, that's not happening. Um, <laughs> no, we're not, we're not living there anymore. Uh, so take them back. Um, anyways. A boy between the ages of 5 and 20 is valued at 20 shekels of silver. A girl of that age is valued at 10 shekels of silver. A boy between the ages of 1 month and 5 years is valued at 5 shekels of silver, which is what Hannah would have had to pay for Samuel to keep Samuel. Okay, A girl of that age, which, by the way, she probably had that money. She probably had that money. Okay. A girl of that age is valued at three shekels of silver. A man older than 60 is valued at 15 shekels of silver. A woman of that age is valued at 10 shekels of silver. What I love about that is this. Everyone has value. Everyone has value. From a newborn kid to somebody who is 60 plus, you all matter to the Lord. Praise God for that. He sees value in everybody, okay? Let's see. If you desire to make such a vow... Um, but cannot afford to pay the required amount, take the person to the priest. He will determine the amount for you to pay based on what you can afford. So that applies to those who are maybe a little bit poorer, right? So God is showing grace towards, towards that as well. If your vow involves giving an animal that is acceptable as an offering to the Lord, any gift to the Lord will be considered holy. You may not exchange or substitute it for another animal, neither a good animal uh, a good animal for a bad one or a bad animal for a good one. But if you do exchange one animal for another, then both the original animal and its substitute will be considered holy. If your vow involves an unclean animal, one that is not acceptable as an offering to the Lord, then you must bring the animal to the priest. He will assess its value and his assessment will be final, whether high or low. If you want to buy back the animal, you must pay the value set by the priest plus 20%. So you're like, 
I want to dedicate this animal to the Lord. The priest's like, okay, well, that's worth this much. Then you're like, ah, I changed my mind. I um, kind of want to have it back. He's like, okay, well, that'll be what it's worth plus 20%. Because you gave it to the Lord, but if you want it back, he'll give it back, but it's going to cost you a little extra. Okay? If someone dedicates a house to the Lord, the priest will come and assess its value. The priest's assessment will be final, whether high or low. If the person who dedicated the house wants to buy it back, he must pay the value set by the priest plus 20%. Then the house will be his again, or will again be his. If someone dedicates to the Lord a piece of the family property, its value will be assessed according to the amount of seed required to plant it, 50 shekels of silver for a field planted with five bushels of barley seed. If the field is dedicated to the Lord in the year of Jubilee, then the entire assessment will apply. But if the field is dedicated after the year of Jubilee, the priest will assess the land's value in proportion to the number of years left until the next year of Jubilee. Its assessed value is reduced each year. If the person who dedicated the field wants to buy it back, he must pay the value set by the priest plus 20%. Then the field will, be, will again be legally his, but if he does not want to buy it back it, and it is sold to somebody else, the field can no longer be bought back. When the field is released in the year of Jubilee, it will be holy, a, a field uh, especially or uh, specifically set apart for the Lord. It will become the property of the priest, right? So this is just anything that you're devoting or dedicating to the Lord, the Lord's like, cool, I'll take that. And you're like, we kind of want it back. Okay, you can have it back, 20%, plus 20%, right? So there's a a cool little thing that's happening there with the Lord. Like, yeah, I'll take what you have if you want to give it to me. But then if that thing happens where you're like, no, nah, I kind of need that land again. He's like, okay, that's fine. You can buy it back. If it hasn't already been bought by somebody else, you can buy it back, but it's going to cost you an extra 20%. Okay. Um, just a really cool kind of setup that the Lord has going there. Um, there's way more ins and outs of this. And I'm just kind of scanning over this for the most part. Uh, look, um, I can't imagine this really, I mean, I'm sure it happens in churches. Uh, we we kind of saw, anytime I go through this, I'm looking, I always go to Ananias and Sapphira from Acts, and I'm like, they're like, we want to give this land to, we sold this property, we're going to dedicate it all to the Lord. And they're like, okay, cool, that's your choice. And then they lied about it, and then they're like, well, we're not going to give them all of it, we're going to withhold, and Peter called them out, and they lied to the Holy Spirit, and they dropped dead. Um, I... I I mean, I'm, I'm sure these things were happening. I mean, these are provisions that God had created for the people of Israel. If, if these things were going to be happening, um, I, I have yet to see this happen within the church. Although, I mean, I've had people threaten before, not here, but um, there, was, there was like, I think one time in the church in Amarillo, people go in there, they get mad at, well, probably me, um, and they're like, and there have been, I've heard of the threats and through out of people's mouths saying like, well, well, I'm going to leave and I would like my tithes back. And you're like, well, you can't do that. Like, why would you even do that? Why would you even say that? But what we should have done was just capitalize on that and be like, okay, well, yeah, sure. But, you know, you, you got to pay us 20%, you know, like it's, we'll give you, yeah. I wish I would have been aware of Leviticus 27 at that moment. I would have been smart aleck and said that and probably gotten in more trouble, but whatever. But these are just provisions that, that the Lord is making. I think if anything, it just speaks to his like, 
his generosity with the people of like, you can dedicate something to me, and if something happens and you need it back, then you can have it back, but there will be a price to pay for that. And I think that's fair, honestly. I think that's fair. Verse 22, this last little section kind of deal kind of flies by. It says, if someone dedicates to the Lord a field he has purchased by which uh, is not part of his family property, the priest will assess its value based on the number of years left until the next year of Jubilee. On that day, he must give the assessed value of the land as a sacred donation to the Lord. In the year of Jubilee, the field must be returned to the person from whom he purchased it. So it goes back to the original family. We saw that in the previous chapters. So it goes back. It's returned to the one who, who purchased it and then the, the one who inherited it as a family property. All the payments must be measured by the weight of the sanctuary shekel, which equals 20 geras. Okay, so that's their currency. And the Lord is measured, basing everything off the sanctuary shekel so that nobody is scheming anybody else with their own shekels. Right? Like, oh, no, no, I got some shekels. We'll measure it off by my shekels. They're like, no, I don't think so. We'll go to the temple. We'll go to the tabernacle. We'll use the temple uh, shekels, okay? So it's all just like the Lord just kind of keeping everything in order, decently and in order. That's, that's who he is. Verse 26, you may not dedicate the firstborn animal to the Lord. For the firstborn of your cattle, sheep, and goats already belong to him. However, you may buy back the firstborn of a ceremonially unclean animal by paying the priest's assessment of its worth, plus 20%. If you do not buy it back, the priest will sell it at its assessed value. So if you dedicate the first, well, you have to dedicate the firstborn of your livestock to the Lord, and it's an unclean one, you're like, yeah, I kind of like to have that one back because, you know, that goofy little goat's become a family friend. You're like, okay, you can have it, plus 20%, right? And if you choose not to, then the priests, because it's dedicated to the Lord, they can, they can sell it off. However, anything specially set apart for the Lord, whether a person, an animal, or family property, must never be sold or bought back. Anything devoted in this way has been set apart as holy, and it belongs to the Lord. No person specially set apart for destruction may be bought back. Such a person must be put to death. That's an interesting thing. Like, there's no bell. There's no bell for some individuals. That sounds like a good idea for our current society. No bell for certain individuals. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, Looks like the Bible has a lot of wisdom within it that our current nation could learn from, but whatever. Um, What do I know? Verse 30, one-tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain from the fields or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord and must be set apart to him as holy. If you want to buy back the Lord's tenth, right, the tenth is a tithe of the grain or fruit, you must pay its value plus 20%. Count off every tenth animal from your herds and flocks and set them apart for the Lord as holy. You may not pick and choose between good and bad animals. That's what we would do, right? We're like, oh, get that three-legged goat. Well, give that to God, right? Like, it's busted, man. It can't even do anything, right? We'll dedicate that to the Lord. He's like, no, you don't get to pick and choose. Why? Because he deserves our best. He deserves our best. So you don't get to pick. You may not pick and choose between the good and the bad animals. You may not substitute one for another. But if you do exchange one animal for another, then both the original animal and the substitute will be considered holy and cannot be bought back. These are the commands that the Lord gave through Moses on Mount Sinai for the Israelites. And that ends Leviticus. Um, So just one last little thing concerning this chapter. 
vows were voluntary, okay? The first part of chapter 27, vows, voluntary. You want to make some, devote something to the Lord? That's on you. You can do that, or you cannot do that. Ananias and Sapphira, they could have done that, and they could not have done that. And they would have been fine, fine to not have been like, sell the property and keep it. Why, why are you lying to God? Vows are voluntary. The tithes in the last part of that, the, the, the tenth of everything, not voluntary. Not voluntary. So God, we should, we're supposed to give a, a tithe to the Lord? Yeah, not voluntary. Not voluntary. Does it need to be a tenth? It could be whatever you want it to be. Because if you read the New Testament... I mean, really, there is no law for giving, for tithing. So if you're like, I can't afford to give a tenth, give what you can. Do it cheerfully, though. Not begrudgingly, you know, not like, oh, I hate this part of the service, right? We don't even pass the plate. But you can imagine with me, you've all been to other churches, right? Maybe we'll start passing a bucket around, but no, we won't. Um, but you understand where it's like, oh, I don't want to do this. Then don't do it. Then don't do it. But a tithe is required from you and from me. Tithing is a thing. Why? Because it's an act of worship. It's an act of trust. It's an act of trust. And he says, give me the first, give me, you know, give me the first of the best that you have. The first of the best. That's what he deserves. And that's, that's, some, that's, a, that's a spiritual discipline that, that we just, we have to practice within the church. And it's not because God's mean and he wants your money and he needs your money. No, he wants your heart. And he knows. Our hearts are really connected to our wallets. And he's like, I'm gonna, I need to break you free of that. You're gonna, and, and we saw this all throughout Leviticus. Are you going to trust me? Are you going to trust me? Are you going to trust me? And we can trust him. And the last little note I have of this is we are not the originators of our blessings. God all blessings flow from him. So we freely give to him the best that we have because all blessings flow freely from him, freely from him. And it's not like, okay, I'm going to drop him a 10 spot because then I'm going to do that. Then he'll, he'll come back as like, you know, tenfold or maybe a hundredfold or a thousandfold, right? No, no, no. We don't, we're not the originators of the blessing. We give him what we can because he's worthy of what we have, because he's worthy of what we have. And we are blessed in doing that. I mean, it's scary, I know, at times, talking about tithing and giving and all that good stuff. I mean, yeah, it's scary. And there's been times in, in our marriage where no, like, we've, we've done horrible with tithing, horrible, so selfish, so completely selfish, and, like, and really just distrusting in the Lord. And then we're getting better at that. We're growing at that. And then you get to these places where you're like, there's no more money. What should we do? Let's give more. That doesn't make sense. Let's give more. Let's see what he does. And we, we've done that, and we practice that, and it's like, and it's terrifying. But we're not doing it begrudgingly. We're doing it because, well, he's taking care of us this far. We could trust him. And that's, that's really what this, this last little bit was about, was like, you can make your vows, and those are voluntary, but the tithes are not voluntary. They're just not. So, man, trust the Lord. Trust the Lord, and that's the book of Leviticus. It's, it's all about holiness. It's all about being set apart. It's about, man, just following this amazing God who loves his people. He loves us. He loves us. Hope to the hopeless, hopeless, red for the broken.
You've been listening to Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. Pastor James is making his way through the book of Leviticus. Now, when we open the book of Leviticus, we first read these words. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. He starts talking to Moses about the offerings that the people are to bring. In chapter 1, verse 9, he says, And the priest shall burn all of it on the altar, as a burnt offering, a food offering, with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. The animals they offered were to be without blemish. Now, we know that when Jesus died on the cross, he was the perfect Lamb of God. And yet the writer of Romans says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. We no longer sacrifice animals to cover our sin, but in reverence and in worship of Jesus who paid that price for us once and for all, we offer ourselves as living sacrifices. The book of Leviticus can open our eyes to how we're to live before the King of Kings. Here at Bread for the Broken, we're committed to helping people find hope and new life in Jesus. To hear other great messages filled with that hope and life, head over to breadforthebroken.com. Once again, that's breadforthebroken.com. Or you can find us on Facebook, where we live stream all of our services. That's all that we have for today. Pastor James will be back with you next time, right here on Bread for the Broken.